Welcome to the podcast, Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture. I'm Scott Ray, Dean of Faculty and Professor of Christian Ethics at Talbot School of Theology, Biola University. And I'm your co-host, Sean McDowell, Professor of Apologetics at Talbot School of Theology, Biola University. We're here with our guest today, Dr. Craig Hazen, who is the director of the Christian Apologetics Program at Biola University and has been for some time. It's a wonderful, growing program uh, that the university has had going for some time. But he's written a, he's written a book that's not a, really apologetics-related. Uh, it shows that he actually knows something about something other than apologetics, which we're encouraged about. Uh, but we're here, to, we're here uh, featuring his book, Fearless Prayer, Why We Don't Ask and Why We Should. So, Craig, thanks for so much for coming on with us and uh, telling us a little bit more about the book, and we get to unpack some of the ideas here. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. And I love your palatial studio. You like this, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, listen, you know, every book's got a story behind it. So what's the story behind this one? What motivated yeah. you to write this? Because this is a little bit different than some of the stuff you've traditionally done. Yeah, that's a good question. One of my colleagues, I told him I got a contract to write a book on prayer, and he just paused. <laughs> like, like the message was clear like wait you are writing a book on prayer i guess i don't ooze the uh you know hyper spirituality or something uh but this i just got bugged by a passage in the gospel of john that i'd read many times before i'm reading along in john chapter 15 in my comfortable bible reading chair at home i get up early my kids are you know everybody else sleeps in but me I'm really annoying in the morning because I'm just full of energy and life. And I'm sitting in my Bible reading chair and I'm reading along in John 15. And I read this passage in this chapter. In fact, one verse really did all the heavy lifting. It says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So, so there it is. There it is. I mean, it just, it just struck me between the eyes that I don't really believe that. And I'm not, I'm not sure I know anybody who really believes that either, you know, so that, that just led me on a, a path of exploration to find out what that, what did the Lord mean by that? I mean, did he really mean it? Or, or are there lots of qualifications for that? What's going on there? Let's begin really simple. And then we're going to go back to the passage that you raised. So what is prayer? And then what are some common misconceptions you find people have about understanding prayer itself? Yeah, you know, in, in this exploration, of course, I read a number of books on prayer, and I was actually struck by how many, you know, Bible teachers and even scholars uh, had a view of prayer that really didn't include asking, which I found very strange. Huh, uh, they that is they thought asking was kind of a low-level spiritual activity. You know, if you have that kind of need, maybe you're not in proper communion with That's God. Because, because you're too self-centered? <laughs> yes, actually, yeah. The, it's egocentric to think about your needs. And and really, what you're trying to achieve in prayer is a much uh, higher plane of spirituality. Some, so some, actually, you're actually supposed to transcend asking? Yes, that's right. Yeah, some books don't even mention asking. Uh, some, if they mention it, it'll be the last thing in the list, as if it's the lowest run. I just found that odd because the moment I started actually studying the Bible on what it teaches about prayer, it's like asking to the nth degree. Huh. And I've come, I've come around to the idea that asking actually puts us in a posture that God really wants us in, uh, more so than other you know, types of you know, spiritual communion with God. 
it's just it's just fundamental. Now you have so, a whole section in the book why we don't ask and why we should. Is it just theological? Is it practical? Why don't people simply ask if this is such a heart core part of prayer? Yeah, there's lots of reasons. Some people I talked to were like, "Well, I don't, I don't really want to bother God." You know, really, wow. I don't want to bother God. As if he's a single mom with two jobs <laughs> or something. So I just found that odd. Uh, but strangely, I mean, when, when Jesus is asked by one of his closest followers, teach us to pray, what does he do? After he says, you know, uh, hallowed be thy name, Father, he goes into a series of asks. It's all about asking. He gives six asks. And so it turns out that that's, that's really at the center of prayer is asking God for things, the felt needs that we have. And uh, let me hit you with this quote, because this is really great stuff. Uh, J.I. Packer wrote a book on prayer, which I found very helpful. Uh, But he wrote this, But at the core where all people of prayer bend their knees, prayer is asking, begging God to supply felt needs. In a broad sense, asking is the very essence of praying. And, And Dallas Willard concurred with that. He wrote, Uh, The picture of prayer that emerges from the life and teachings of Jesus in the Gospels is quite clear. Basically, it is one of asking, requesting things from God. Hmm. Now, clearly, there's a lot more going on in prayer than simply asking God. I mean, I spend a lot of time, you know, confessing sin and and giving thanks and and just lamenting and all kinds of things. I mean, but it really stokes the conversation, asking and knowing that he wants us to ask and that he's going to respond. Yeah, I, can't, I mean, that makes so much sense theologically because it puts us in our proper place in a position of dependence. Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, even in the Lord's Prayer, you know, it's a, a give us today our daily bread. It's really give us this day our daily bread. And then you got to ask again tomorrow. It's, mm. it's like a constant moment-by-moment dependence on God. Look, Craig, let me ask you this. Um, I know one of, the, one of the places where I think asking prayer has been misused is how people ask boldly sometimes for material prosperity. Mm. Uh, something like, you know, some, some version of the prosperity gospel. What, what would you say to that? Well, I actually discovered that the, uh, the problem of uh, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel uh, sometimes it's called the word faith movement. Sometimes we pejoratively call it the uh, the name it and claim it bunch or whatever. Mm. You know, they've actually had great damage. Uh, they, they've done great damage for the rest of us on interpreting important passages like this. In other words, this this passage in in uh, John fifteen seven, where Jesus says, "If you abide in me." And my words abide in you. Ask for anything, and it will be done for you. I mean, that's powerful. But some people say, Hazen, you got to be careful with a passage like that because, you know, that's abused by the, uh, mm-hmm. by the faith teachers. Well, for goodness sakes, after thinking about it, I'm thinking, why would I let them rob me of some amazing promise in the text of the Gospel of John? Just because they're abusing it, I want to find out what it really means and, and get the full spiritual benefit out of that. In fact, let me give you an example of how the prosperity teachers have affected our mindset. Uh, so I, I wanted to title this new book. And my title, my original title was provocative. It was Ask for Anything and You Shall Have It. I just thought that would be, you know, in your face and, and really, really fun, you know, to, to get people thinking about what that really means. Uh, 
But then the publisher, when we got towards the end of, of the publication process, the marketing team got on the phone with me and said, hey, Craig, I'm not sure about that title. You know, we've been thinking about it, and we think this other prayer, or this other title, uh, Fearless Prayer, Why We Don't Ask and Why We Should, is probably a better one. Uh, I said, all right, I'm open to that. That's a pretty good title. But let me do this. Let me do a little poll. I've got like, you know, four or 5,000 Facebook friends. So let me put both titles out there. And without any commentary, you're saying, here's two titles. Which book would you buy? You know, and, and if you want to comment, fine. So I let this stew for, you know, a couple of weeks on the internet. And I finally reaped in the results. And oh my goodness, it was 20 to 1 really? against you know, that, that first title, Ask for Anything and You Shall Have It. And almost everybody who commented said, uh, that sounds like Benny Hinn wrote it. And it just showed me that, that this passage exists in the Gospel of John for all of us faithful believers. And yet we're pushing it aside and not giving it much uh, due uh, because it's abused by word faith teachers. That, that's a shame. Okay, so help us understand exactly what's meant by the notion of, you know, ask boldly for whatever you want without veering off the rails. Yeah, well, my my exploration actually took me into a series of objections, you know, to this passage. And and one of them I've just addressed, the, the problem that, you know, the word faith teachers abuse that, so we have to be super careful with it. And I've just noticed that really plays out in people's lives. They they they're uh, they're very tenuous with a passage like this, and they don't they don't jump on it. That was not the case 150 years ago, before the word faith movement existed. Right? Uh, you dial into the sermons of somebody like Charles Spurgeon. Oh my gosh, he couldn't wait to get to a passage like this because he just found so much life and energy in it. Here, let me let me read a a quote from him that I think will really tell the story. Check this out. Charles Spurgeon, in a, in a sermon, his title, the title of the sermon was called Ask and Have. <laughs> that just seems out there to start with. So in 1882, he preaches this sermon, and here's what he says. Do you know, brothers and sisters, what great things there are to be had for the asking? Have you ever thought of it? Does it not stimulate you to pray fervently? All heaven lies before the grasp of the asking man. All the promises of God are rich and inexhaustible, and their fulfillment is to be had by prayer. <laughs> Thus you see the Lord's promises have many fulfillments, and they are all waiting now to pour their treasures into the lap of prayer. Does not this lift prayer up to a high level when God is willing to repeat the biographies of his saints in us? When he is waiting to be gracious and to load us with his benefits, I will mention another truth with ought, which ought to make us pray. And that is this, that if we ask, God will give to us much more than we ask. And he concludes a couple of lines later saying, asking is the rule of the kingdom. My goodness, that's so exciting to hear. And he believed it and his congregation believed it. So I don't think we have to wonder a whole lot why God did so much important work through he and his congregation. Craig, this, this verse you're referring to in John 15 is part of a larger teaching that Jesus has about the vine and the branches. It talks about cutting, pruning, and abiding in him. Can you kind of give us, just unpack a little bit what's going on in the context in which we find this passage? 
Yeah, th- this is really important. It, it, in fact, it's it's uh, it's one of those things you need to encounter before we can really understand what this means. Because some people go, well, asking for anything and you're going to get it. Does that mean I can I can ask for a new ski lodge in Aspen, <laughs> a personal ski lodge in Aspen with five jacuzzis, right? Uh, and I say that and God's got to give it to me? That sounds a little bit like the word faith teachers, you know. Uh, no, that's, that's not what it means at all. Uh, the whole context is about fruit bearing. It's about fruit bearing. So it's, it's us bearing the Lord's fruit. If, and the passage basically is saying if we are plugged into him, uh, if we remain or abide in him, and all of the good nourishment is being drawn up by the vine, Jesus is the vine, and it's, it's put through to the branches, we are the branches, then we will of necessity bear good fruit. And part of that is asking him. We ask him and he will uh, let us bear good fruit. So it's really about serving him. Uh, but if we want to serve him, and if we're abiding in him, and his words are abiding in us, it seems to me that we can take this to the bank, uh, that you really can ask for anything, and he will give it to you. Craig, I remember reading this passage in college in South Africa on a basketball mission trip team, and reading the end of it going, wow, if I don't abide in him, like the branches get you know, cut off and destroyed. And I thought it was about losing salvation. You make a point that that's not what it's talking about. Yeah, you know, some scholars flirt with that idea, but most come around to the idea that there's a basic passage here uh, that, uh, and context. It's talking about fruit bearing in the name of Jesus. And so really the main point is that if you're not plugged into the vine, Jesus is the vine, if you're not plugged in, you're just not going to be doing anything spiritually worthwhile. So Oh, so fruit bearing is just seeing people come to the Lord, seeing people grow, having an influence for the kingdom, spiritually speaking. Uh, all kinds of kingdom-minded activities, including personal spiritual growth. Okay, that, and you would include, you know, other things that have to do with our 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 flourishing. Yes, uh, absolutely. You know, you know, in our work, in our families, physically, even financially. Yes, absolutely. Uh, now, I do make some distinctions about uh, kind of the fruit-bearing prayers that I think Jesus was trying to uh, uh, inculcate into his closest followers at the time. And it was a very intense time. This, was, this, this uh, sermon of Jesus uh, was actually taking place, you know, hours before he was dragged off uh, to be crucified. So he was given his most important messages to his closest followers at the time. Uh, and so he, he just wanted to make sure people understood what he was talking about. And, and he's really talking about doing important kingdom work. That's what they've been trained for for three years. And he was about to release them to go do that. And he wanted to make sure that, that they were deeply plugged into him, drawing up all the spiritual nourishment and, and water and nutrients that the vine could provide so that they could bear the good fruit. Uh, so I think the passage has mostly to do with that. But that doesn't exclude other kinds of prayers. Um, I think it just enhances the other kinds of prayers because I see God answering these so regularly and so faithfully, uh, now that I've been focused on this, that it's encouraged me to pray for other things, even things that aren't necessarily directly fruit-bearing. And I have lots of examples of those. Let me me go back. You know, maybe this ties in a bit uh, because in in Genesis 1 and 2, 
when God gives his original command to Adam and Eve to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over it. Uh, the word be fruitful there, we often take that in, in be fruitful and multiply as a, we take those together, meaning procreation. But the term fruitfulness there is actually, actually is an economic term. Hmm. And it refers to vocational and economic fruitfulness uh, that God commanded Adam and Eve to do. And the, the, the means to do that were built into the creation. Now, the, the, you know, the multiply part, obviously, procreation was important because Adam and Eve couldn't unlock all of that in creation simply by themselves. And they couldn't fulfill that mandate alone. But the idea of being fruitful from Genesis 1 actually has... Maybe something, maybe a little broader implication that we might originally have thought. And I wonder how that ties into what you're suggesting about prayer in this way. Yeah, you know, uh, th- that that is very helpful, what you just said there. I-, I was thinking about it just sort of in personal terms. You know, there's there's lots of prayers I make that I know just aren't really necessarily kingdom essential. They're not mission critical for the kingdom. Lots of prayers I do. In fact, most of my prayers every day are along those lines. In fact, sometimes I have to, I look for uh, fruit-bearing prayers to offer up because I just like to see those take place, and I know the Lord is on them when I offer those. Uh, but by and large, uh, if if I'm just wanting to go out and work hard, Lord, give me, give me more work today, and I just want to take that money, and I want to put it away in a 401k, and I want to see how big I can get that. You know, the Lord still might bless you with that, but honestly, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Now, if you're going to grow that bank account and you are going to, you know, use it for uh, mission-critical, you know, fruit-bearing enterprises of the Lord, oh my, watch out. You can pray for lots of things and they will really come to pass. Uh, he might even increase those, uh, those bank accounts a, a tremendous amount to see his work go forward. So you do... You do distinguish between kingdom requests and personal I do. requests. H- how do you know if the personal requests start to be narcissistic? Yeah, uh, you're probably going to have to ask a more spiritually enlightened fellow. <laughs> I, I, I have the spiritual sensitivity of plankton. You know, I just don't know sometimes. Uh, let, let me give you this example, though, just to talk about the difference, the distinction between fruit-bearing prayers and kind of like regular run-of-the-mill prayers, which are very valuable. I don't want to d- diminish those at all. Um, so I, I use this example in the book. Uh, I've got a couple of daughters, and I remember when they were young, and they wanted an American Girl doll. Well, those are I discovered those are really expensive. So hard to come by. Yeah, I wasn't going to run out and just get them one. You know, I thought, well, we got to have some economic lessons going on here. You know, maybe they can earn some of the money, uh, something like that. Uh, Or maybe they wanted an ice cream and it was near dinner time. Well, I, as the father, have to evaluate how best to uh, answer those. Is it going to be yes, no, maybe, maybe later, you know. Uh, maybe there's other lessons that need to be learned. However, if those same girls were to come to me, not requesting an American Girl doll, but requesting, say, uh, some money to go on a short-term mission trip to build an orphanage in Mexico, or they wanted to buy a new study Bible because they just want to understand God's Word better, or even an SAT study book so they can really uh, do well on their college entrance exams and things. Oh, my goodness. As a dad, 
I am so on that. I will go and I will, you know, beg, borrow, and steal, have money to, to, to get into the hands of those kids because they want to use it for something so wonderful. And I think that's how God looks on, on our activities. When he hears we're about his fruit bearing, he is there mm-hmm. and wants to provide us with the things that we need so that we can serve him in a better way. Now, this is not an apologetics book, but you weave in a couple apologetics themes, let me ask you about. Early on, you have a section on doubt and the evidence for God. Why did you choose to include that in a book on prayer? Well, it seemed to me that uh, if if you're having trouble understanding whether God really exists or not, or is personal and interacts with you and so on, my goodness, if you're having trouble at that level, uh, there's really no sense talking much about prayer because, you know, uh, in your mind, you might just be praying to the to the uh, the strain, the the force, or whatever you think might be out there. So I wanted to make make it clear to people that God really does exist. The evidence is clear and it's compelling. It's also compelling that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and the Son of God who died on a Roman cross and came back from the dead. These aren't just weird mystical feelings we have, but we can know these things to be true. From that platform, you can take this passage in John 15, 7 much more seriously because God is there, he's personal, and he's ready to act. You also talk about how naturalism and how deeply this worldview is seeped into the church and affects the way we pray. Will you talk about that a little bit and then tell the story of Kojo I thought was so interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually claim that one of our reasons, we, we probably the primary reason, we don't take John 15, 7 seriously is because uh, we are immersed in naturalism. We're immersed in naturalism. We don't know it. I mean, it's uh, because it's like the air we breathe. You know, it, it's it's just the, the 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 dominant worldview of our culture. And so, what I mean by naturalism, there a simple definition would be just not ready to believe that supernatural things happen. Uh, you're just reluctant, and I think that generally characterizes our culture, even inside the church. And so, we read a passage like. John 15, 7, where there's this amazing supernatural promise. And we're a little bit shy about taking it seriously because of the naturalism that we live with. And so I think one, one, one thing we have to do in order to, to access fully this passage is to push up and get a deep breath of supernatural air, if at all possible. And, and that's something great to pray for. God, help me uh, sort of to, to, to get a, a deep breath of supernatural air. Uh, some people don't know what naturalism is. So I use an example from a, a former student of, of mine. His name was Kojo. Kojo was from Ghana. And he came to the United States and did a master's degree in apologetics and then went back to Ghana to do ministry. Well, he was gone for maybe a decade or so. And he came back to Southern California, and I was very grateful that he stopped by Biola University to, to have a chat with me. And he was telling me about these marvelous ministry opportunities that he was having in Ghana. He got a chance to speak, you know, the, the gospel to the, the parliament in that country wow. and all kinds of wonderful things. A lot of meetings out on the countryside, and he's telling me about how he's presenting the gospel and how a woman came in carrying a dead child and how the child was healed. And then he moved on to something else like, wait, Kojo, <laughs> what in the world? Back the train up. I want to hear what you're talking about there. And he says, yeah, well, well, this isn't all that unusual. A woman brings in a child, and we pray for the child. And the child was obviously dead, and the child came back to life. Now, he was clear that that doesn't happen every time, but, you know, 
Uh, so I go, okay, Kojo, uh, help, help me understand this. Why do you think that we're not seeing that kind of thing here in North America? And he says, well, that's easy. And he, he wouldn't tell me right away. He was kind of teasing me, you know, like, I, he's like, I can't believe you don't have the answer to that. And I go, come on, man, tell me, tell me what you think. And he finally says, well, uh, you see, you have 911. You have 911. What he meant by that was, uh, we can pick up a phone and dial 911. Now, we might be praying while we're running for the phone, but we're going to dial 911. And Koji was very clear that, uh, that is the common grace of God towards you. You know, you're very fortunate to have 911, and the emergency services can swoop in to help. <laughs> he goes, in Ghana, we don't have 911. So our first and really only recourse is to pray. And God doesn't do a miracle every time, but we pray more, and we expect more, and we see more. I thought that was a great illustration of how he has a more supernatural view of the world. He, he lives in a supernatural atmosphere a little more than we do because we have natural remedies for so many things that ail us. That's a, what a story. Uh, Craig, one last question for you. Uh, give us one really fearless prayer that you've prayed that was answered. You know, I don't think I have like one really big one because what I've learned about this, this, this as prayer as asking God, that that I've I've grown in asking all the time. They're little things all the time throughout the day, and as my spiritual sight has grown, and this is probably the biggest thing for me, is just being able to stand back and watch God move the chess pieces on the board in any given day to open up the thing I'm asking for. Even if it, it, even if it's not a fruit-bearing request, you know. So these things are happening all the time. Uh, I think the 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 biggest crescendo for me was in grad school. You know, I was in a hostile graduate program. It was a secular religious studies program. You know, at a University of California, for goodness sakes, and Jesus-loving, Bible-reading Christians like me don't go into a program like that. You know, and so it was there. It, there was always challenges. You know, uh, but. I think the Lord loved the fact that I was there and, and, and attempting to, to bear his fruit and do his work in such a hostile atmosphere. So he blessed me day by day there. Um, I, I probably still hold the record for winning scholarship money in that, at that university. <laughs> One of my professors said, we've never seen the likes of this anywhere. Because, uh, I, I mean, I would win like, you know, $10,000 at a time. And this happened multiple times. Like, I couldn't wait to go to the mailbox every day <laughs> to see how the Lord is going to bless me that day. And he blessed me in many other ways, not just uh, financially. I mean, you're not supposed to come out of grad school, you know. Uh, well, you're supposed to come out of grad school in debt, not, not out of debt and with a down payment on a house. That's not how it's supposed to work. But, <laughs> but the, the Lord loved that I was there and that I was trying to bear his fruit. And he wanted to show me that he was going to be walking with me closely, giving me everything I need. You're here. That's great stuff, Craig. Thank, thank you so much for your book, Fearless Prayer, Why We Don't Ask and Why We Should. I want to recommend all our listeners. This is a, definitely a book you need to pick up and get really soon. We'll have a link for it in part of the part of the announcement for our podcast. So, Craig, thanks so much for being with us on this and for unpacking a lot of what you mean by this, because it's been it's been really helpful today. So my, very, my great pleasure. Thanks very for having appreciative. me. 
This has been an episode of the podcast, Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture. To learn more about us and today's guest, Dr. Craig Hazen, and to find more episodes, go to biola.edu forward slash think biblically. That's biola.edu forward slash think biblically. If you enjoyed today's conversation, give us a rating on your podcast app and share it with a friend. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, think biblically about everything.